0: Here we go, guys. Another research review, Fact Finding Friday, our first of the new year, which is exciting to me because uh, I, I didn't really feel like we needed a break, but then I thought it kind of, at least it did me good, just not having the, uh, the amount of time to prep for some of these things, worrying about where they fall with the holidays and all that. So everybody who is coming back, uh, if you do, that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to As I said earlier this week, kind of moving back and forth, maybe week to week, always having a behavioral research review versus a physiological one. Maybe we'll intersperse some other performance-based ones, but I keep coming back personally to some of the behavioral issues because without that, we don't get the physiological or biological uh, progress we want. You know, as people use axioms as it's all in your head or it's what's between the ears that counts. There's a lot of truth to the intent behind statements like that. And and contentment is one of those places that I think seems almost very benign or as a non sequitur toward our pursuit of, of extreme training, extreme nutrition, extreme physique, progress, all of those things. Like, What does contentment have to do with that? But as I was just saying off camera, Man, in this industry, whether it's on the competitive physique sport side, the performative uh, athletic side, or even people just trying to to get their their physiques, their bodies, their health where they want, there is often a ton of frustration, and there is sometimes some some real pain involved. In that, it can even lead to disordered behavior, and at the root of that is how can you have an aggressive goal. And how can you be all in? How can you have that, uh, that assertiveness and, and and drive for that, but at the same time, have a level of confidence and contentment? It, it, again, it's it's two sides of the same coin, but they certainly appear to be the opposite. So um, also off camera, Dan was just saying that in our Mind Muscle Connection podcast, uh, he he thought that when Tyler and I talked about happiness and kind of the... The truth behind happiness, how, how we get there, that the happiness cult that we seem to have in Western countries, that you know there, there are deeper layers to that, and and so I, I thought the same thing. I mean that's that's almost why I went here, Dan. I, I had in the back of my mind when Tyler and I were going through that podcast, this is something I need. I mean that was an exact thought in my head. I need to take this to the research review Friday session, but go deeper, and so uh, I, I did look at just just what is kind of that next layer what's what's that foundational sentiment under happiness because happiness is as i mentioned in my post something that's very transitional it's i'm happy or i'm sad it's it's contextual but contentment is just this is who i am this is more of a personality trait or a trait i've chosen to work on and adopt And and that can layer into every part of our lives. So interestingly, the study that I found, uh, there were these two scientists, one from the University of Mexico, one from the University of Netherlands, and they actually had antithetical views on on contentment. And there are a lot of surveys, a lot of research tools out there that people use, life satisfaction surveys, some, some very profound uh, tools that are used through all of psychology and research and counseling even. And, and so these guys decided, let's let's get together and let's do a study to almost see who's right. I mean, this is almost like a throwdown between two scientists to see whose theories were right, because they both published a ton of work and, and books on the topics, but they disagreed. So let let me read through this. I apologize, it's so long, but there are just a couple clips from this that I think are really important. How do we assess how happy we are? One theory is that we compare life as it is with standards of how life should be. So there's that comparative analysis. In this view, happiness emerges from a cognitive evaluation that draws on socially constructed standard of the good life. Another theory holds that we would rather infer happiness on the basis of how well we feel most of the time. So I'm going to stop there. But these two guys, those are their positions. One of them says this is more of a cognitive thought process. And one of them says it's more of an emotion-based thing. And in defense of the guy who says it's more emotion-based, because I don't want you to think that that's giving humans a slight in terms of, you know, they're just not using their brain. You know, they need to be more neocortex-focused. It doesn't matter what we should be. It matters what we are. And so if more people really do relate life satisfaction and contentment based on how they feel, then we need to, we need to take that into consideration and we oh, need to access yeah, sure. that. Uh, let me mute somebody there, okay. Um, so, so these two scientists, they, they get together. And again, both of them published in different aspects of this. The comparison theory or what's also called the, the cognition theory is when you're actually making those judgments between how you feel you are or how, how your life is versus how you think it should be. And then the affect theory is, is you know just taking an inventory of how you feel. Were you happy today? Were you sad today? And, and I want, I wanna, I'm going to go a little bit deeper. I'll probably just uh, kind of move along here because I don't want to get ahead of myself. But when you get into that affect theory, so they often describe it as hedonic, which is where we get the word hedonism. So it's just, again, I really don't want you to take this as an insult to people who kind of live their life this way, because this is somebody who has a real strength of living in the moment. You know, they don't worry and have a lot of anxiousness living out too far. They don't necessarily have a ton of regret looking back. It's what we all need some of to live in the moment, to be happy, and and to think with our emotions. One of the things I want to bring up to you guys, uh, and I'll just kind of preface it this way, and we'll come back to it later. Think back to one of the research reviews we did last year, where I looked at, well, actually two different research reviews. We looked at two different studies. Um, I can't get to everybody here. Let me see real quick. Let me see who is. Okay, muted somebody else there. Um, so we had two studies we looked at. One is that some people think all of motivation comes from what's in it for us. And, and there was a seminal, seminal study that became a book, that became a movement that, that for a lot of people, giving them motivation by some kind of earning. If you do this, you will get that. If you work really hard, you're going to be Mr. Olympia. Uh, that actually backfires for a lot of people. They're not wired that way. So, that's one important thing to remember that sometimes using that ambition to gain something isn't always how humans are motivated. Another thing to consider is that as we think that using our neocortex, using our ability to think and judge and being as cerebral as possible, there was a massive study that, well, I say massive, it was, it was profound in that they did functional MRIs looking at people's brains in real time. This was done through the moral psychology department at Harvard. And they showed that the people that make the right decision every time, the ones who don't eat that cookie when they're on the diet, the ones who don't have any stress or frustration making the right decision as it aligns to their goals, they're the ones who don't think. They're the ones who actually feel They're the ones who have such a value-based attachment deep inside their emotional core that they simply say, I would not do that. I have made that decision once and I am now not the person who does that, whether it's lying, stealing, cheating on your diet, just anything like you've made that value-based decision and you made it once and it's over. The person who thinks about it and their neocortex is lighting up on an fMRI It's like, well, I don't know, maybe if if I get caught or maybe I can get away with it, maybe if I could track my macros this way, or maybe if I do an extra 10 minutes of cardio, the people who think through that every time they're struck with an obstacle, they're the ones who fail, not the ones who succeed. So I I just want to make sure I have that out there because I don't want you guys to think this is a, a slam dunk in one direction or the other as we're trying to look at is, is it truly emotion-based or logic-based when we're trying to get to the root of contentment? Um, let me just move on here. In, in, uh, you, some of these things will just make sense after that introduction. But when we look at the affect theory of contentment, um, oftentimes the way you would score this in a study is you're asking people you know, what their mood was. You know, were you happy? As I mentioned, were you sad? How often? How much of the day? Um, These are people who tend to kind of be motivated to act. And, And so that's what I mean by they can make quicker decisions because they've already made that such a core value. But the other side of that is that sometimes they can make an impulsive decision because that decision has already been made. They may make it in almost every context, even when maybe some thought should be given. So that's where that gratification of needs sometimes comes in, is there, you know, if, if you are 100% based as just an emotion type decision maker, you know, there, there, there are some cons to that as well. I didn't want to make that look like it was just the place we need to be, but there's certainly some things to learn from that, that moral psychology study. On the cognitive side, of course, were comparative, uh, social constructionism, which I think was fantastic that this came up in the study. Simply shows because this is a study that, that went through 120, they, they surveyed information from 127 different countries. And social constructionism has more to do with how we feel about life than, than probably most anything else. Because if I'm in China or Russia and I'm in a, especially a, an impoverished place, and, and, and starving or giving more of yourself to the collective good. Is supposed to be a good virtue, then you may you may have a a pretty meager existence, and and you may you may feel like, man, I really don't have a lot in life. And yet you would tell people and truly have talked yourself into thinking, I I love my life, this is great. I'm doing well in life because I'm suffering, you know, that kind of a a mindset. Um, but that's because of the social construction. Then you come to the western countries like the US where happiness is a cult. And if I'm not happy, you know, every second of the day, if my whole day is not orgasmic, then, then I have a shitty life. You know, that's how we feel in, in an entitled way on the other side. So this is going to come up a little bit in the study. And on that cognitive side, here's, here's the pro. If you are thinking through these things cognitively, then you can adjust those standards. You can think through them and say, well, maybe maybe I should actually do things a little bit differently. And maybe I should be happier, even though I have less, or maybe I should be less happy because people are taking it from me. You also have a phenomena called reflected appraisal, which is we often get a lot of our value and our perceived happiness based on how others treat us. And so that's, uh, it's not always completely internal. So these are the two camps. These two professors are, are going at it. They've decided we're going to do this study. We're going to, and, and it's, it's almost entirely uh, survey analysis. I mean I mean, th- this information was already there, and they just gathered all this information and decided, here's how we're going to analyze this, run it through all the statistics uh, operations that we need, and make sure we're asking the right questions to get the right answers. So it's it really is an interesting look at the way research can be done, but uh, th- they did have a couple really cool graphics I wanted to put in here. They may be difficult to see, but I at least wanted them in here as a record of this for my own um, you know research. But but overall happiness, if you're trying to look for that that deep deep contentment. Uh, you'll see that you know it starts with that information basis. What what is coming into my life and how I assess it. If I assess it through an emotional experience, then I'm going to kind of go up toward happiness on that side of the scale, where it's truly just a balance. It's a like, like a teeter totter of how much of the day do I feel pleasant and how much do I feel unpleasant. You know, categorize every negative and positive emotion. And if, you, if you're on the cognitive side, this is me still having those same experiences, but now I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking, well, yes, I had that emotion, but is, is that supposed to tell me I'm having a positive or a negative life experience? Does that mean my life is good or bad? As I said, you know, I, I think of people uh, who have um, you know, truly suffered uh, in thinking that that's a virtue, um, you know, and, and and cultures teach this. Certain religions teach this, and so the 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 more you even like like self-flagellation, like like literally physically harming yourself, you're you're clearly doing biological harm, and yet psychologically you talk yourself into that this is a great life. This is what I should be doing, and so again, there's there's the pleasure and pain, and then there's the thinking through it. So those two different paths. Um, And then this breaks down into two two separate categories. So if I just kind of toggle back and forth for a second, you see the the affect theory, then I go back to the cognitive theory. And so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. It just kind of shows you a a picture of what we're gonna talk about. But to what extent does cognitive and affect evaluation vary independently? This is what they They, asked. When they got this together, uh this is, this is through Gallup surveys. And you may have heard this every once in a while, this makes a headline. So you can be watching your favorite news channel. And at the beginning of every year, maybe like a census every 10 years, I say, hey, this new Gallup poll is out in Denmark for the 50th year in a row is the happiest country on the planet and and they look at those kind of things and and why is the US the, the land with with all of the money you know why do they have the highest rate of anxiety and depression and suicide and incarceration and gun crime like like we have it all why are we the most miserable country on the planet and so you know those are the kind of questions that are asked through these these polls but with 127 countries and they and I'm not going to go through all these statistics um but they, they, they decided to cap it at a thousand people, a thousand subjects per country. So a thousand subjects per country, 127 countries. That's a lot of data. And what they wanted to see is, does the cognitive and the affect, those two different theories, vary independently? Can, do they, are they both the same? You know, can I, can I have one and then that predicts that the other one is going to be just as high or low? Uh, or is there? do their correlations differ, as I said, because of social constructionism? And, and those two questions aside, the original question is, which one has more impact? If we want to reach people and, and somehow give them information that helps them become more content, are we going to do it through the emotional side or through the cognitive side? So those are the questions they asked. Um and there you go. This is what I said. All, all of this was done by a Likert scale, one to 10. And those are simply those studies we all fill out on surveys. Uh, describe this through one through five. Do you highly agree, moderately agree, neutral, blah, blah, blah. So that kind of a, a scale. One through 10 is kind of broad, though, uh, which is nice because it, it allows you to be more specific because, you know, some people, you know, it, it's very difficult if those, those are just too narrow. So, so this allowed for some pretty, pretty good data, I think. Um, this is what they asked, though. These were the questions they actually asked the people. This banner down here. Um, overall, you know, for happiness, all things considered, how satisfied are you with your life? So, pretty, pretty general question. Uh, for to, to to really kind of grade contentment, if. If you could rank one through 10, what your best life would be like and what your worst possible life would be like, where are you right now? So they, they, they literally asked, you know, how satisfied are you with your life? One through 10, and then rank one through 10, like what level are you on? And some of these, they ask questions sometimes in a dualistic way. So it's almost the same question asked a different way. Just to check for consistency, because sometimes researchers don't ask the questions very clearly. Uh, Sometimes people don't read them clearly. So you almost try and get a backup there. Then on affect balance, uh, did you experience the following feelings during a lot of the day yesterday? Enjoyment, physical pain, worry, sadness, stress, anger, depression, love. So they're going through those. And then they kind of back that question up with a second one on affect in this, and here's, here's what the, interestingly, they, they said, we, we asked this differently. The first one, let me jump back there real quick. They asked, you know, they, they didn't emphasize yesterday that much. Did you experience the following feelings? And so they kept it very short. Did you experience these feelings, you know, one, two, three, four, and they literally had them ranked A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then they went to um, now, now please think about yesterday from morning until night. So now they said, not just yesterday, cause we could pick out yesterday and think of this one thing that happened that made me happy. And this is part of the psychological evaluation, or we could think about the entire day from morning until night. Did you feel well-rested? Did you smile or laugh? So now they're trying to get an aggregate perception, you know, how you really feel about your emotional base. Did you learn or do something interesting? Would you like to have more days like yesterday? Were you proud of something you did? I love these last two questions. Were you treated with respect all day? So again, the, the perception that that reflective appraisal of others. So looking at some of the results, uh, I, I didn't go through all 127. I mean, I personally did because it was interesting, but I didn't want to write all that out here. Life satisfaction is the highest in Costa Rica, which interestingly, a couple guys right next to us Want to move there now? I know why. Uh, in retirement, and, and lowest in Togo, um, contentment. Again, a little bit different. Now you're looking at just how you feel. Um, you know, when you're measuring it in that like that whole day. You know, yesterday, did you feel these things? Were you respected and so forth? Uh, this is where Denmark always seems to shine, and uh, then also you know low in Togo, uh, affect balance. Th- th- this is an interesting way. And I think perfectly done, but I, I don't think I would have thought of this, uh, looking at just the, the total difference between positive and negative feelings. So um, how many people in the country, for example, had you know just a super high effect and then how many also had super low? What were the differences between those? Latin, and America, Latin America, uh, in some really interesting countries, even like Venezuela, that you think, like we hear they're just miserable, uh, Panama, they had the highest positive versus negative feelings. And so they had, uh, you know, on balance, 60%. So, so what this means is people could say, well, I, I've, I have this positive outlook on life, and yet my, my life isn't that great. You know, like I, I realize, I guess, you know, maybe that, that what is your best life? You're, that you're not quite on that highest rung. And so again, like the people who were the most content and overall happiest were in some of these countries that don't have the greatest amount of resources. And this is what's interesting out of 127 countries, every single country Still had a higher positive than negative, meaning that as a this is a lot of, about us as a species. I mean, people starving in Ethiopia, even though they had the, the smallest spread 11%, it was still 11% on the positive side where they were still very hopeful and found something to be happy about in their lives. Uh, again, I mean, not that you would want to live there, it's, it's still the, the least life satisfaction of those 127 countries but it was still slightly tilted toward the positive. This will come out a little bit in some of the stats here next. So um, when it comes to correlation, this is this is one of the questions they asked. Are these two things correlated? And, and those of you who have gone through enough of these research reviews for us, I haven't talked about that, that P value, the correlation. And if you have a 0.05 or higher, that's what researchers look for where you can say there's definite causation. So if this than that. And if you can get that P score up to 0.05, you can say there, that's definitely a cause of that. So life satisfaction and contentment. So if you can say, I am truly satisfied with my life and all things aside, even, even the little negative things and so forth, I have a, a high degree of contentment that correlates pretty high. It's not high enough to be causal. I don't think 0.85, anybody would say that's causal, but there's definite connection. And then when you look at life satisfaction and affect, so this gets now into more of the emotion-based thinking. um, I guess that's kind of a juxtaposition, but the emotion-based assessment, uh, it's not nearly as correlated. So this is where it kind of starts making sense. People who are a little bit more driven by just their their feelings in those single moments of time. If you remember um, the, the the professor whose whose position was that 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 most people measure their contentment and their life satisfaction by just the the aggregate of pleasure versus non pleasure. Those people who do that, those people who think that way, did not have a good correlation with contentment. So they could, again, on a, on, a, on a survey, they could say, well, I'm pretty content with my life, but they still feel miserable. They still feel like, you know, they're just not as happy. But when, when you know, the opposite holds true with, with contentment, with, with people who think a little bit more through that process. So they are using a little bit more that their cognitive capacities in less of their emotional center. Um, and then, then here's what, what makes it a little bit more interesting are those two things correlated? I mean, can you have one and the other? Can you be somebody who thinks both with, with emotion and both with cognition? And those would just be like, they just slide up and down. And they actually said, no. I mean, this this drops you know down to 0. 0.42. So it's almost like those people who are thinking about their thoughts, those people who are thinking about their emotions, those people who cognitively reflect on their status and position and context in life, and as we're talking about dieting and nutrition and so forth, I mean, swap out nouns. Use that every time I'm talking about life satisfaction. How are you satisfied with what you're trying to accomplish in this physical pursuit of your life and health? Then those people who are thinking it through, and they can cognitively say, "Well, of course, you know, here I am on this path and." every day is not the best day and yeah, I didn't have a great day there, but I'm, I'm, I'm back and I'm doing fine. And they just, just don't get knocked off of course. They tend to say, not only do I know where my life satisfaction is, I'm content with that. I can, I can be in the middle of doing something very difficult and aggressive and, and uncertain and I can still be content. Those people who are more feeling their way through it, they don't respond very favorably to actual life satisfaction. So uh, this is where counter to what I said about that Harvard study on morality, this is a place where you don't necessarily want to just feel your way through it. You want want to use some deeper cognitive analysis. So let's look at some of their final remarks in their their own considerations as they went through their discussion. the, the, the one thing that was interesting, and I, I kind of led with this because I wanted I didn't want this to make you think some things that, that might not be conclusive. So, you know, I already told you that there are certain cultures and social constructions that that really do make us different. And so there are there are consonant clusters and deviant clusters to this when you look at Europe versus Asia versus Western countries versus Latin America. Uh, and it has just a lot to do with those cultures. And so, if you looked at the, this this whole thing, 127 countries together, you get those results I was talking about the the peace scores and correlates. But if you really zone in on regions, then you get super, super more specific data, and it often, uh, you know, may may oppose each other. Again, you know, Asia versus the U.S. may be very different in how we perceive life satisfaction, and contentment, again, because of the way we process through that. Is it more cognitive or is it more emotional? But here's the results. These are some direct quotes from them. The cognitive appraisals, when you're actually asking people to think through how they feel and where their life is at, that's where you get the actual dominant ability to to move somebody to a place or to have them reflect their, their true contentment and, and they can, they can feel that higher life satisfaction. So again, some of those people that scored super high, like Costa Rica and and Denmark, you know, they have a greater amount of their population that simply has either very personal or very cultural tools to assess. I'm, I'm, I shouldn't say I'm going to make myself feel happy. Um, I'm just going to be happy. You know, you you, again, hear mantras like happiness is a choice. That's where this is kind of leading is that cognitively, when you decide to be happy, then you will see struggles as learning experiences, not failures. You'll see failures as stepping stones towards success. You don't just get mired down in the emotion, but contentment alone like just for you to say, I am content with my life it ends up being about 71% of the variability of in life satisfaction. So those people who say, no, my life is shit. Like I hate my life. Those are people who are, aren't necessarily taking a great cognitive inventory. Uh, they're just saying, I don't feel good. I don't, I wasn't happy yesterday. So my life is, is horrible. And, you know, I, I I talk about this a lot because it's certainly a core value to me. But as soon as somebody says something like that, like this is awful or this is horrible. My first thought is always compared to what compared to what, you know, half the world's going to go to bed hungry tonight. Half the world, you know, is still in abject poverty. Um, You know, the the life expectancy a hundred years ago was still in the forties and so forth. Like, um, you know, look at all these things that happen. Your life is so horrible compared to what? And, and that assumes that you're going to have some cognitive level of appraising your life. And, and this really gets down to my point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some of these things. These are some of their discussion points, and then we're going to open it up to, uh, to talk about ourselves. But cognitive and effective evaluation of life are related, but they're different. You know, I, I hope I made that clear in the last couple of minutes. Half of the countries show a high correlation between the two, but other, the other half of the countries kind of diverge considerably. So they've really talked themselves cognitively into being able to be happy, even if they don't have the, the most amazing life as you or I may compare it, materialistically especially. Uh, no countries are content in spite of feeling miserable, but some countries feel good while still being discontent. I know my life isn't the greatest, but I'm okay. Like I'm making it. I'm going to get there. I have hope. Affective experience dominates. Okay. This is, this is really, really interesting. I I totally forgot about this point. Once, once I started today, Uh, I've surprised myself with this slide. Uh, Affective experience dominates cognitive evaluation when affect is super low, almost zero. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. Have you heard uh, this this statement challenged in research. Money doesn't make you happy. We've all heard that phrase, right? Money doesn't make you happy. Research shows money definitely makes you happy. Up to seventy eight thousand dollars a year in U.S. currency, if you're, you're a U.S. resident. That's a couple of years old that stat. But what they showed is if you don't have enough to pay the bills. You don't know if you're going to get kicked out by your landlord tomorrow. You don't know if your daughter's going to go to bed crying tomorrow because she's hungry. You're not going to be happy. You are not going to be happy. When when, 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 when means are that low, it's very difficult. And and people, when they say that the primacy of affect uh, is baseline, that's, that's when that correlation shows up the strongest. When affect is super super low, when you are so miserable that you you just can't even see up, uh, you just you can't even cognitively imagine a better life, then that one professor was actually right. His scale of looking at, at people, how they assess, just pleasure versus pain, pain, unpleasant versus pleasant thoughts. If you're on that bottom rung. That's how you measure life. It, it's just a true reflection of Maslow's hierarchy. If that's where you are just trying to survive, then that's your existence. It's how good I can feel or not. You have to have at least a, a rung or two above that where you, could, where you can truly start to feel like, well, now, now my, my cognition actually matters. Like I can have some impact on my life. There's some level of self-efficacy here. So this is one of those things where we really got to the end of this, and I thought the answer was clear, and then they kind of screeched the tires in the middle of the road and said, well, wait a second, this professor is actually right at this part of society, but once you get above that, then cognitive evaluation is really the strongest and has the greatest correlation. So when need gratification approaches a critical minimum, then cognition appraisals take, take over. So that was a really, really important thing. I mean, if, 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 if somebody had read this study, like you read like 25 pages and you didn't get to 26, like you would have missed the whole point. Um, but in conclusion, and this I, I copied right out of there so you could see it word for word, affective and cognitive appraisals of life do not always parallel. The evaluations differ in about half of the nations of the present day world. And most common divergent combination is high affect with low contentment. So if I'm a mo- an emotion-based thinker, if that's how I view life satisfaction through emotion, then I rank my life as low. Like that's I, I have the least amount of contentment if I don't feel like I have control over it cognitively, if I just feel my way through it. But co- cognitive evaluation seems to dominate in the overall evaluation in life. All right. So let me, uh, let me stop that share so I can see all of your pretty faces. And I'll give you my quick little summary here and would love to hear your thoughts. But it's going to sound super, super dumb and cliche, but happiness is a choice. You know, we we quite, quite literally have to decide, Okay, in the social constructionistic view of the world and through all of history, I kind of would rather live here now than I would 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Uh, I think it's Yuval Noah Harari, uh, you know, the most prolific modern historian, uh, whenever he he said this in an interview recently, he said, whenever somebody says life used to be better back then, like, oh, back in the good old days, he'll say, well, tell me which day, tell me what year you want to go back to. When do you think life was great? When polio was killing half of our children, when World War II was raging, when the life expectancy was 32, because people would die of a tooth abscess, like like you tell me how bad it is today compared to them. And that's what we get into when we just feel our way through life, instead of really looking with a true positive perspective, no matter where we are. And as it relates to our pursuits, and those of our clients, those of us who are coaches, I mean, sometimes we need that reminder for each other. And I don't mind, you know, punching my clients in the face sometimes with with information like this once in a while. Uh, when you're having that bad day, I I can accept we all have bad days, but if that drives your 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 progress right off the cliff, then you're just not in the right mindset to even be here in the first place. So I I hope I did a, a good enough job of explaining this study because I think it was pretty pretty darn cool. But I also realized going through it you know, this quickly in 30 minutes or so can leave some gaps. So does anybody have any questions or any thoughts as it just relates to our pursuits in health and nutrition? Dan, I know you do jump on in there.
1: Oh, I always go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, your conclusion made me uh, reminded me of a quote that stuck in my mind from Abraham Lincoln. And he said, most of us are about as happy as we make our minds up to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, that goes right along with what you're saying. Uh, One comment I have on this is personally, I experienced very unhappy times, but very content. Uh, For example, when my wife was really sick and chances of survival were approaching zero. I mean, I was an unhappy husband, but I was completely content that I was doing everything I could in that situation. So uh, I like the fact that you uh, broke these things uh, apart a little bit because we can be very uh, unhappy situationally, but very content uh, with uh, uh, our, uh, our uh, uh, behaviors, our decisions, our choices and living true to values. Uh, so uh, I found that very uh, uh, enlightening and uh, I found that important for people to understand uh, from a health and uh, physique point of view, uh, maybe you're not unhappy. Maybe you're a little unhappy that you're not eating that whole cheesecake like you used to. But you know what? You can be content that you are going to be around to watch your kids get grandkids get married. You know, so
0: and vice versa, Dan. Like maybe you're not happy that you don't have the body you want yet. And yet you can be content that, hey, man, at least I've made such an impact on my health and so forth. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And I think as a coach, that's important to see, help people see that through uh, because, uh, you know, uh, we are both cognitive uh, thinkers and emotional feelers. uh, So, yeah, you feel like crap right now because of the circumstance. But you know what? Uh, You can think about all these other things uh, that you're holding true, too. And I think that's awesome.
0: I love that you brought in, that was a phenomenal analogy between you and your wife and, and her sickness. Um, it, it made me think uh, it's it's not even close to that same ball game, but I've always looked in wonderment and sometimes confusion at my wife's ability to be unhappy and yet content at the same time. So here, here's the difference in our personality types and, and it's something that, that hopefully I've continued to improve, but she can be having a bad day. I can be having a bad day. You can say something that's unhappy or angry. And yet the relationship, there's no question. The relationship is fine and everything is okay. And everything is intact. It's just like, I've always said, like, talk about water off a duck's back. Like she can, she can take a punch, like emotionally she can, she can, and it just doesn't take her off base. I feel wounded and it ruins me and I'm, I'm stonewalling and I'm, just crushed. And, you know, and it was like, like one argument or something. And four days later, I'm still like not sleeping. And I've, I've looked at her and I've thought, you know, how in the hell can you like, does this not bother you? But she had that sense of security that it's like, everything's fine. Like everybody has bad days. Everybody has an argument or something. And so I'm like, that is, that is such a lesson to me. And and I have have to relate it back to what you said about our health and fitness pursuits. You know, I see the same negatives in clients all the time. Where a bad day, a bad meal, a bad anything just completely derails them. Whereas other people, are like yeah, no big deal. I'm right back up and get, you know, make this a good week. That was just one bad day. It's all good. And I'm like, wow, that's yeah, that's the attitude to have.
1: Yeah, and I think and I think on that topic, I think that's where we could become really valuable to teach people that they have that ability. And like you said, you're working on it. Uh, Teach people that they can work on it and they can get better at it.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: You know, I had a client, uh, a general population client who's thinking about competing for the first time and she's kind of assessing, you know, whether she's good enough, what is it going to take? You know, what's, what's this going to look like? And, and, you know, makes some statements that where I can tell you she, she's just putting a lot of value on appearance. Right. And then, so we were talking about like, what it's going to take. Do I have to get down to 120 pounds, hundred pounds? Like, and I said, so well, we just won't know until we get there. And she said something about me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I, I would have to lose 30 pounds from where I am right now to look like I looked on stage. So when you look like I used to compete at 150, 100, you know, or so at my best yeah. and here I am here, I said but this is by choice. Like you know of course I have a little little fatter out the middle, I'm soft, mm-hmm. but I'm not unhappy. Like I have I've chosen to be here and I'm I'm perfectly content. I'm I yeah. I've made intentional changes to get here and I can make intentional changes to go there. But you know, it's my my contentment Isn't tied to how I look today. It's tied to my overall arc of of health and and my own values aesthetically.
1: Yeah, and I and I heard you speak about this uh, person before, and I think that um, she could be setting herself up for a a huge disappointment um, because you know, as a uh, as as a competitor, you know, I, I go in there to win. And you know, I don't always win, but when I but when I lose, why did I lose? All right, he was better, uh, but I still walk out of there feeling I did it, I competed, I came, I did my best. And if somebody's going to go into physique sports and thinking I'll be crushed if I lose, that that I I think that's dangerous. That that could be very dangerous. And the same thing true for just a, a general pop person. Oh, if I can get down to one forty then I'll be, you know, I'll be happy. Well, maybe not, you know, maybe not.
0: Yeah, your so happiness think, yeah, is not because, necessarily tied to that.
1: Yeah, it really, really uh, is, is complicated. And I think that's why when I uh, said uh, off camera, you know, when you uh, talked with Tyler about happiness, I was like, well, man, we got to go deep. We got to go deep into this one. This is critical because uh, all those little decisions, you know, somebody insulted me, for example, your, your example was great. Uh, Somebody insulted me at a business meeting. So I go out and I eat, uh, overeat. uh, And then all of a sudden I back to my old pattern, for example. That's that's where we really have to come in and teach people that, you know what? You can think about how you feel
2: and decide. Yeah, true.
0: Go ahead, Kevin, jump on in there.
2: Two things I wanted to mention um, or to add to, because I absolutely would agree with what you've said, Dan, and of course, you know, it makes complete sense, the whole assessment and analysis of what you presented to Job. but um, with, with general pop clients, um, those that I predict or, or presume are going to really struggle are those that focus on the result versus the process. And that's trite to say, but bears repeating and reinforcing of the whole point here of, and I would, in my with my transformation, uh, especially with the change in my academic performance, having that failure not define me, although that was, it, it kind of has, been in a positive way, in the sense of it's only motivated me to become where, uh, you know, be where I am now. But um, since that time, I've, any type of failure or bad day I've had, it hasn't been a definition of myself necessarily in terms of global pursuit of whatever goal or just me as a person is just bad days happen. It's very, just very practical and logical bad days. That's going to happen. Learn from it, move on, do better, or whatever it would be. Um, Just don't take it personally. Easier said than done, but nonetheless, uh, that's the big, uh, I guess, reinforcements from this, not to mention just for general pop clients to remember it's, it is that process of who you're becoming and you just could continue to trudge along. That's the rite of passage for all of us. Um, and I guess don't, don't take it too personally, just keep moving forward.
0: Yeah. You know, this, this ties back to, and I think this study almost creates the entire definition of emotional intelligence. Cause I think one of the definitions that are, that is the clearest and cleanest for emotional intelligence is just having high self-efficacy that I, I can manage my emotions. I I don't let other things manage my emotions. I manage them. Whatever is happening to me, I hold that at arm's length and I decide how I'm going to feel about that. I don't just impulsively react. And and that that truly is kind of the underlying current of the study. And yet one of the interesting things to me in how this whole study is set up, it's a perfect overlay of qualitative and quantitative research, because a lot of people in the social sciences, you know, behavior, psychology, etc., they are, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to be quantitative. It's tough. You know, that's why uh, whoever, I think it was Mike Zordos, but maybe he borrowed it from somebody else. He certainly made it famous, but, you know, talking about reps in reserve and perceived exertion to put that on a 10 point scale so that we, as people who are working out in a gym or coaches telling another client, here's your workout, we don't have to say, well, just go kind of hard. Well, you know, this is a warm up set. This is max. Now we can say, no, this is a, this is a nine out of 10 set. Like leave one rep in reserve. Like, like that gives you some quantifiable hooks to hang that information on. And, and social science is difficult like that until you can analyze the information like this, run it through all kinds of, you know, statistical algorithms and then say, wow, because again, like, like we could have all said, oh, here's the questions these guys are proposing. The answer is obvious. But when you do the actual research, we can say, well, it's obvious, but here's a pretty cool nuance. And, and this guy was actually right for these people on the bottom rung. And then it becomes obvious up here. So you really don't get all the answers until you do some qualitative analysis uh, or, or quantitative analysis of qualitative data. And so it, it, it's always interesting to me. That's why I think it's so worthwhile to, to look at some of these things. Very funny. Amanda says, ha, I'm trying to tell myself to have a control of my emotions as my kids are running around yelling. I am I am always happy those days are behind me. As much as I love my kids, I kind of love them a little more now that they're all over 18 years old. <laughs> any uh, any other you know, thoughts charles jumping in
3: you'll love them even more when they're over yeah. Joe.
0: go ahead charles <laughs> true
3: That's, yeah i'm right right in the middle of it myself with the uh, teenagers but um um i'm i'm the type of person who i think i'm content but i'm i'm never particularly satisfied so i'm i'm content in terms of um I feel very grateful for, for my career, for my, for my family, um, you know, what I'm doing in terms of, of, of business, but I'm not necessarily satisfied. I I'm always striving and want to uh, do better. And, um, and maybe sometimes I get a little bit obsessed with that, or sometimes I don't stop to celebrate the wins. And I know that's an issue for me, but can you talk a little bit about, is, is there a difference between what you're seeing in the research between contentment versus satisfaction?
0: Yeah, I think that is, a, that is a phenomenal additional context point to what we actually talked about, Charles, because for you to say I can cognitively express my gratitude for my kids, my career, the, the life I have, like I have, I have so much to be happy for, but I'm still a driven, ambitious person. Uh, you know, that's, that's exactly what this study is showing is you're in that high efficacy group where your life satisfaction, you know, probably is a strong correlation. So it, you're, you're up in that P score of 0.85. I have high life satisfaction and I assess that cognitively. That doesn't mean that you just lay down and decide I don't need to do anything. You know, that that's not even part of the equation. I would argue that it takes somebody with that high level of emotional intelligence to both be happy and still go create happiness for yourself and other people. You know, that's that's the measure of a truly emotionally intelligent person, is when you have the empathy to want to bring people along with your happiness. Matter of fact, there is other research to show that when people have it all and everybody else has nothing like income inequality in the United States is the worst it's ever been. Even the people at the top are not as happy. Like they're happier when everybody has enough. And so I think I know I'm getting a little bit off, off base there, but you know, that shows that, that as long as we're in pursuit of the right things for the right reasons, like, like, let's say for me, you know, my goal is, or my, my goal was, I mean, my goal was to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Like that was my, when I was nine, 10, 11 years old, my whole room, I painted Dallas Cowboys stars by hand on my wall. Everything in my room was Dallas Cowboys. I was going to take over for Danny White and uh, that didn't happen, but I'm still pretty happy. I, I still have to this day, an enjoyable athletic outlet in my life, even though I didn't make that that particular goal, didn't get that win. And so I, I think that's just kind of, I think you're a great picture of that personally. Um, I know I don't know you, you know, super well. We haven't, uh, you know, had a lot of personal time together, but what you're describing, I think, is dead on where we should be. But may, maybe somebody else can can jump in and address that.
1: Yeah, I got a I uh, piggyback on that one, Joe. I agree with you 100%. I, Charles, I think that that is uh, uh, exactly the higher level of emotional intelligence where Uh, Joe, you had mentioned, you know, that um, self-awareness is the, you know, is the cornerstone. Uh, Well, once you've got that, then it's okay. Can I take it even further uh, without um, uh, any resentment for what I've already got? And that's emotional uh, uh, strength and fortitude. So I think, Charles, I think you're in a great place. I don't know what the research says, but after delivering, you know, over 4,000 leadership programs the successful people, that I saw through that career, uh, thought just like you, very content with what they had, uh, but that didn't stop them from uh, moving forward uh, in different directions. And sometimes the directions could be economic, sometimes it could be physical, sometimes it could be social, uh, sometimes it could be, uh, you know, a, a certain cause uh, that they kind of grab onto, and so. I applaud that. You know, it's, it's great to hear quite frankly.
0: Yeah. I I go back to just the definition, Charles, that contentment doesn't mean like we've made it and we're hanging up the cleats now. Like we're, we're content. It's over. It's, I'm going to go lay in a hot tub the rest of my life. It's just content period. Like that's just a state of mind. I am content no matter what I'm content. If I win, I'm content. If I lose, I I'm just here for the, for the popcorn, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying every second of the game. Um, so any other thoughts? I'm not sure if, if Lainey's still on or, or Amanda. Amanda's she, she's going gonna to put her, her screen back on and she's going to have like three kids in headlocks. And
4: Sorry, I've been back and forth. No, I have so much to say, but I have to go on to a call. Um, <laughs> this is like my, uh, I think yeah, I have a lot to say, but I've Great. totally dug this. So you guys yeah, a lot of good stuff, but I don't have time to keep talking about what I got all going on in here. So
0: well, you, you um, can message me and, and we'll chat about it that way.
4: Sounds good. Sounds good. That's Guys, awesome. have a great day.
0: So, so glad you're with us, Laney. Appreciate you. Have a good weekend.
4: Awesome. You too.
0: Amanda, glad you're feeling better. Everything good?
4: Yeah, everything's good. I think I can add to, well, my take on this topic would just be that on the physical side of things like first thing that popped into my head is how I can be satisfied one minute with the way I look and then once I've achieved what I'm what I was after then what's the next thing you know I feel like there's always like that that next thing so then I'm constantly chasing this physique that may or may not may or may not happen but the journey getting there is something that i am satisfied with i am content with like so far my going going down into my gym and, and working out is like that's like my zen time like that's what i just i need that outlet you know
2: sure.
4: so even though like hey you know i if i don't place or i don't i don't win it's it's I always just try to think about like okay did I did I put in my best effort um obviously we always want to win right but if it doesn't happen I'm, I'm I'm happy with what I put on stage that's ultimately what matters so um I don't know how long I'll be doing this for but it's definitely something that I've already started looking back on like I'll look I'll look back two years and look at my stage photos and like man it's crazy that I look like that. Like I did that, you know? So I don't know. I think, I think happiness for me is if you, if you can look back and be satisfied with what you've done thus far, that, that is what like brings me happiness. Like if I can look back 20 years you know, in the, in the future, 20 years from now, I can look back and be like, man, I did an awesome job raising my kids. They're great people like then I'm satisfied with my life. I'd be content, then, just completely ecstatic.
0: You guys always yeah. just fill in all the gaps. Every time we have a session like this, like all of your comments are like, "Wow, that's that's perfect." And what what a great one to end on, Amanda, because what I want to say is, a that's a normal reaction. I look at photos of myself 15 years ago and think, how like how did I even do that? Like is that even me? Like, you know, my legs this big and, 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 and and I'm, but, but at the same time, it doesn't make me discontent now. It makes me think, well, you know, for a guy who's going to be 53 in a few months, I'm doing pretty good. And like you said, I still enjoy training more than anything. I've been training for 40 years. I only competed for 18. I'm still training I'm still happy. That's what brings me joy. It's still having a positive impact on my health. But I do want to bring it, I want to end on your point that it doesn't mean we ever reach a place where we don't struggle with those thoughts. That's why I think people like Charles and Dan are high achievers because it's like, yeah, I'm content. Yes, I can find the joy and the gratitude in what I'm doing. But I'm sure as heck going back in the ring today for another fight and I'm going to give it hell. Like, you know, I'm. I can be content and still be on the front lines. And and I think it's like this. It's the the most surprising thing to me ever as a coach of physique sport athletes. And it doesn't happen often, but it's amazing when it does is for a client to, to be texting me. And after all of that prep and peak week and all of this work and like, Joe, coach, I got fifth place. I made a top five. I love it. Because 99 out of 100 other texts I get from clients are, I didn't win, this is shitty, I feel awful because I didn't win. So for somebody to not win and still find joy in the process in where they did find the outcome, it's like, wow, that is that is a lesson to me as well. Because I'm like these guys who like to win everything. But at the same time, man, just to be able to rest back and win the fights over to say, hey, man, that person was just better on that day. or. That person deserves the the win and the celebration. I can be their biggest cheerleader, even though that wasn't me today.